Hello, my friends. My name is Aureli. Education Monsters is a podcast that discusses multicultural education. Hi, everyone. On Education Monsters, I'm here with Brian. That's my really good friend that I met seven years ago. <laughs> We're just talking about this. It's been so long that we just don't see time fly. Hi, Brian. Hi, Aureli. So Brian is super cool. He is basically a professional student. So he started <laughs> studying like as soon as he could. So he completed his uh, major in biology. Then he came to uh, Temple University in Philly. And that's where I met him. Then he came back for an accounting degree. And now he's working on being a chiropractor. So so proud of you for accomplishing all these things and I'm so proud that I've been able to follow up all your activities and your experiences so today we're going to talk about multicultural education you ready I'm, yeah, I'm ready okay cool so I'm just gonna let you introduce yourself to our listeners Oh, um, hi, my name is Brian Almanzar. I am a Dominican-American uh, student, and I've just been thrust into the American culture and just continue on with school until I find my passion. And it just gets, cool. it continues forever. <laughs> it seems to continue forever. Like, the good thing is that you actually finish it off. It's not like you just, like, explore it, but you actually have the drive and you're like, okay, let's not give up and I'll just continue even if it's not, like, the thing that I want to do forever. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, I guess, the way of life that that, you know, things are put in front of you that you don't actually enjoy at the time. But then at the end, if you finish at the end, some light can open up. And I think that's what it was like with chiropractic. It's just going to, my background in biology and accounting are going to help down the road. And if I would have not pursued those career, those degrees, it wouldn't have helped me as much as they are after I finished this. Everything is complementary. So it's like, it's also good to know about money, even when you do science. And it's also good to know science when you deal with money, you know, like everything is interconnected. Absolutely. Yeah, so congrats again on doing uh, all these years. You were mentioning at the beginning your Dominican background. So can you please tell us more about this uh, type of uh, upbringing and how was it like with your family growing up? I was originally born in New York and I lived in a predominantly Dominican uh, neighborhood. So a lot of people that were in that neighborhood just spoke Spanish. They they were there for 20 something years. My dad immigrated from Dominican Republic uh, into, you know, into that area in New York. He barely even practiced uh, his English. So right now my dad's in his mid fifties and my dad has a thick accent. And it was just because he didn't really practice much English. His English is perfect now, but it was one kind of things of everybody in the area. It didn't matter if you were there for 20 years or 30 years, you know, English wasn't uh, the main language. It was Spanish. Everything is written in Spanish. And when we moved to a little bit after I was born, we moved to New Jersey and there was still some Hispanics, uh, but a little more immigrated with other cultures like Turkey and, you know, some African-American, some Caucasians, but predominantly it was a very diverse uh, neighborhood. And we lived there for a couple of years as well. And, it, you know, it wasn't the, the safest of neighborhoods. So we eventually moved down to Florida and that's when everything honestly just expanded and we opportunities for me and my brothers just rose up. Up and we became something and I very much allude that to my parents and just the drive that they gave us when before we moved to Florida because one thing is in Florida you're not you're given more of a scholarships you're given more possibility for loans the, the schools are also cheaper so you have the ability to actually um, succeed a little more so than people in the Northeast and um, my parents saw that my parents understood that and um, you know 
we ended up making something of ourselves because of it. So my upbringing was a little bit different from a lot of other people, especially even within the Hispanic culture in that my parents, they immigrated to the United States uh, when they were very young. My dad was 11 and then he eventually married my mom and they she came to the United States. And it was one of the kind of things of, they just pushed us to be as best as we can. You know, they, they grew up in poor neighborhoods. Neither one of them graduated high school. And it was one of the kind of things of that they wanted to see us just be happy wherever we chose. It was never a push one way or the other. It was just more of they wanted us to find some kind of career or a job or something of that nature and continue pursuing it. And there was a lot of other Dominicans even in our neighborhoods that we lived in when I lived in uh, originally in New York, New Jersey as well, that, you know, there would be a lot more thrust into that, I guess, Dominican culture from back in, you know, Dominican Republic. And they, some of them didn't take advantage of the opportunity that was presented here. And some of them did. And some of them were amazing and became dentists and doctors and whatever. And, you know, our, our my family was different. My family wanted to just to make sure that we were happy at the house. We're all happy kids, good childhoods. And the nice thing about what I love in my family is that it doesn't matter what career you end up choosing, we're all the same. Yeah, I was also wondering if uh, the Hispanic background was uh, still a big factor because you still find that big community still in Florida. So did they keep that in mind when they moved you guys from New York to Florida? Absolutely, they did. When we originally moved from the Northeast down, it was one of the kind of things of we, we still wanted to be around family because family means everything. And they actually, we moved uh, near our, from my mom's sisters and my mom's, more more my mom's side of the family. And there was a huge Dominican culture there as well. But then what happened was after I was a kid and a lot of people were deported in my area in Florida, it started becoming more Caucasian and, and less Hispanic. There was a lot of Mexicans that were in that area and a lot of them got deported. A lot of Mexicans, they worked with constructions and those kind of jobs before. And then after I think I was in high school, a lot of them got deported. So my high school, it, it went from, I want to say 60% Caucasian to 85% wow. in, a very, very, in a very short amount of time. And as a student of just learning and love and I guess the love of learning, I, me and my brother, my brother's older than I am. He's three years older than I am. And he saw it as well, but I saw it more so that my classes, I would be the only Hispanic in an honors class or, or a, an advanced placement class that is geared towards going to college. A lot of other people in my uh, area didn't really have the drive, you know, and I think that was just on them. But there was uh, racial issues in my classes geared towards me uh, because I was pretty much ignored. I remember this one conversation we had in my class where we're talking about if Spanish should be even taught in schools. Mm -hmm. And there were one or two students in my class, and they said, no. They said, what's the purpose of learning more than one language when the, the language in the United States is just English? Wow. And what was your reply on that? I, I thought it was really, I thought it was very ignorant. And I, I said, it's like, why, why is it wrong to learn? What's wrong with that? When outside the United States, maybe in that in this area, But outside the United States and multiple areas of the United States, the predominant language is Spanish. So what's the wrong, what's the problem with learning? I remember I said that answer and the students actually that stood up and originally made those original comments. They pretty much ignored me. The, what I said didn't even matter. So that was honestly hurtful because I was still a student in that class and I was, I had just as much as a, a voice as much as they did. 
and but it didn't matter. But do you think that she did reply this because she was not doing well in the class, so she did take it as why should we do this? Because basically, like when you're not succeeding in something, you're trying to blame it onto some something else or someone else that's not related. I I agree and to part of it, but I think it's just the sometimes the upbringing is just wrong because another conversation we had in the class was she was saying if if the people were deported because it was in the moment where a lot of people were starting to get deported, she's like if more people were deported, you know, from the Mexican community, would that be a good thing? That was the professor. It was an American history class. And one girl in particular, she said, said, yes, uh, that would be a good thing for them to get deported because they're taking our jobs. And I, I just think it was one of the kind of things of that she was probably just raised in an area where she wasn't exposed to many. Mm-hmm. And she, I think she just needed to understand that just because your little, little isolated area is of that area, you know, of that one race or culture, it doesn't mean everybody else is going to accept your same views. And I don't know what ended up, she changed her mind or whatever it was. But at the time, I, I felt it was kind of hurtful because it didn't even take in consideration that you literally have an Hispanic immigrant in the class that predominantly I speak Spanish at home and with my family. Like, my mom, like she's been in the United States since she was 18 and now she's in her 50s. So she's been in the United States for a long time and she can speak English, she can speak English fine and she has American friends and, you know, she she has other friends that of, of other cultures that she speaks English with. But at the same time, it's not as straightforward uh, as uh, or free as communication as if it's her predominant primary language is Spanish. I don't understand the dilemma why you would think just because somebody speaks another language or whatever and they do these dead-end jobs. Jobs. Like my parents, both of them, they grew up and they was working these like really low income jobs, making $4 an hour, making minimum wage pretty much my entire life. And you're thinking that a lot of other people would actually want those jobs. No, a lot of people don't want those jobs. And it's terrible to be paid $4 an hour. And I think that that's even worse because as someone who's struggling so much and who also has like not the same start ahead as people who were here for generations and generations, mm-hmm. like you're not even protected for some people like who work without paperwork like they also don't have uh, legal rights and I think that's also really hard when you work at jobs where you don't get paid a lot and plus like your insurance benefits like they don't even exist uh, absolutely and you know there's there's so many benefits in general I've had family that they've come they come to the United States and they work for a couple years and again they're working like sometimes honestly under the table they are so petrified because all they're doing is trying to send money back to their spouses back home yeah because the opportunity you know, their original home wasn't as, uh, there wasn't jobs at all. So Mm -hmm. it was like, it was basically seeing their spouses and their kids just uh, suffer and not eat and starve and not have a roof over their head or take a chance. And every single day they would be petrified. And like you said, they couldn't go to the hospital, so they couldn't risk getting sick. They, they, there was, you know, they, they couldn't necessarily do really anything to attract attention. And you know what? They, one, one of my family members in particular, that he, he risked everything. And now, he, you know, he, he went back to Republic and he has a beautiful house and, and beautiful kids. And the guy worked like 80 hours a week working like cutting lawns like but how many like such a huge sacrifice and we just don't realize how hard workers these are absolutely and uh like I've, I've worked in other places i've worked at target for instance you know in between my schoolings and one of the one of the people i've met at work was from cuba the hardest working man i've ever met in my life the guy was 64 years old worked every single day and every single shift somebody would cancel, he would be right there. Never was late and always with a smile on his face and just worked. 
and just like, Hey, I need to send money back to my grandkids. Wow. And, and I was like, that's a, that's adorable. Like when somebody in just like, it's inspiring when it's somebody's like, selfless. Hey, absolutely. And, uh, that's one thing is I, I've definitely been able to tell them. I think even with my family, like my mom has rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, she's had it for 20 something years now. She works 16 hours a day. She continues to work and she was trying to get the papers, the legal papers to bring my, her sister here. And it took seven years to come to the United States for her sister. Wow. And her sister finally came with her family and like you have to send like affidavits and you have to send like checks and money or to the government to continue on with this process with interviews and all that stuff for uh, to be to come to the United States. She actually paid for all on her own. So she got a second job at the time. At the time I think she was only working one job but she picked up a second job and did that for about 10 years just to make sure that she can afford her sister to come here, her sister necessarily to have something when she's here not having to struggle because in the Republic, she was literally living in the ghetto. Like people are getting shot in the middle of the streets and the streets were, it's huge potholes that your car literally, like it, the tire can just sink in. You know, they continue to struggle in a little house that got flooded with one of the hurricanes. They got destroyed, but they couldn't afford anything else. So they, they just had to like, everything was wet, but they had to just dry everything off and try to live in a little shack. And my mom was like, hey, I don't want that for my family anymore. She, yeah, she picked up a second job job and with all her pain with all her you know suffering that she has to deal with every day even walking she continues just to work her butt off honestly sometimes she can barely walk but she wouldn't ask for a day off of work because she's like my family can't afford for me to take day off work if because they're not they don't have the opportunity that i do like this is a luxury to come to work you know some people want to work and they can't but yeah she she continues on and my dad's very similar to his for his side of the family as well and they just work their butt off. And I think both of them streams from the fact that my family comes from the country of the American Republic. So they are from like the really rural agricultural part. And both their parents just taught them nothing in life comes easy. The best things in life is something you have to work for. My my aunt has been here for a couple of years now. And now my parents are finishing up building a house for retirement in Republic. And it's gorgeous. And uh, you look at that house and, and you look at the way that they've, we've been raised up. Like in my family, we've never made more than $50,000 in a year ever in my life. And I'm, I'm 32 years old, right? And I was born in the United States. So my parents have had to struggle the whole way through. And, you know, it, it, their parents are necessarily working in the field in the Republic and cultivating tobacco and working on sugar canes and all that stuff and you know picking up um, water down the river that is that you know that takes an hour to you know hour there and back just to get for for you to have some breakfast in the morning because there's there, there was no plumbing at the time when my parents were, were a kid in that area in particular that they just necessarily just fought they, they continue just to understand that with work comes reward and now the reward's going to be they're going to have a beautiful house in the same neighborhood that they grew up in so poor i'm so proud of them you know and and i, I think me and my brothers are I have a brother of mine that is a physician now in, in new jersey so proud because when we were little kids, I asked my mom actually a couple of years ago this. And I asked her, it's like, if we never left New Jersey, you know, if we never left even New York, what do you think what would happen to us? Like, what what job do you think we ended up doing? And mom was like, you know what? Like, I actually thought you guys were gonna be waiters, like my dad was. My dad was a waiter for 20 years, working at like a really beautiful hotel in New York. And she was like, you know what? I would have been okay with that because 
when she was a kid and my dad as well, they had no expectations. Their family was like, hey, my mom was given the ultimatum of either stay home and just be a house, you know, find somebody in the local area and just be a housewife or graduate high school, see what happens next. It wasn't a guarantee that she, they can even go to school. I had a, I have an uncle of mine that wanted to go to med school. One of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. They were so poor that he went to med school in the Republic and he couldn't afford it. So he had to drop out and that hurt him so much in his life. And my mom was, she, she, it was around that same time that he dropped out that she was like, you know what? Like, I can't afford that travesty in my life. So why not necessarily? find a husband and just leave because school is not really a thing where I, I can actually be what I want. She actually wanted to be a doctor, a physician. You know, my dad came around around that same time and she, they dated for like six months and got married and now they've been married for 37 years. You know, she, she she didn't really have the opportunity that we did, you know, to pursue something higher education. So whenever me and my brother were, were um, growing up, we figured out that we can't necessarily expect that things are handed to us in the future, even though we're in America, right? And uh, my parents, again, didn't have good, you know, they have the highest paying jobs or the highest education in the United States. And, you know, we saw that, we saw their hard work and we were like, you know what, we're going to do something. We're going to do something to, to help them tomorrow. They're close to retirement. And I, for my self-drive, is it done so much stuff for me that I want to actually tomorrow, even though they don't have much of retirement, you know, saved up, I just want necessarily to make enough money in myself to uh, take care of them. And I think that's, that is also part of my Dominican culture that when your elderly are, you know, getting close to that age, you take care of them, you know, no matter what happens, you take them to your house or you take them, you know, you do something somehow to find a way to respect and take care of them because they how much sacrifice they took in their lives to take care of you. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like there's a lot of uh, courage in your family, despite all the struggle, the financial struggle, and also like both on your mom's side and on your dad's side, it seems like there's still like this beacon of hope that the children are the hope. It's like, even though your life sucks, you still work because you have these children to feed. They, they just cannot suffer. The same mindset goes on for generations. So what are your thoughts about this mentality of like working for, forever for someone else which is your children and then getting the rewards only afterwards like when you're close to retirement because then it means that you would have spent your whole life pretty much like suffering and then only seeing like the end of the tunnel pretty much at the end of your life i disagree and i think it's one of the kind of things of enjoying the moment enjoying why you're doing it right so there's just you know there, there's moments where you know they come home and they hated their jobs they hated their low-income jobs and being in an area where you're not you don't get the highest amount of respect um for being from other cultures, but it was one of the kind of things of that they came home every day from work and they saw their kids. They got to spend time with their kids. And and my like my grandfather, I think it's strange from it's my mom's side, it's strange from her, her father. Her father worked in the fields for 15 hours a day. It was a miserable, you know, kind of like a miserable job and and just working and all that. But he knew there was a purpose to his life. He knew the purpose necessarily was for his family. And that's just the way that he was raised. And it's like you're the parent and you're supposed provide for your kids if you're not that means you're doing something wrong and my parents like you know both of them grew up and they understood the responsibility as a for them you know for their own uh peace of mind that hey i'm gonna have to work and i might not like the job i might not you know not enjoy the the, the time at work but the thing is i get to go home at work uh, afterwards and i get to see my beautiful kids and i get to see food on the plate you don't need anything else in life as long as you can have you can come home 
home and have that family time and just be more of that cohesive unit and having discussion with your kids or how they, you know, how was school or I guess my, my oldest brother had a job in high school. How was work? Personally, I, I actually like that because the kids understand from a very young age that, you know, it's more than just necessarily sometimes just donating sperm, you know, from, from a male's point of view. It's actually taking care of your kids and knowing the responsibility it takes to get the job done so your kids can understand what hard work means, but also being there at the end of the day, tuck them in at night. So as the first generation uh, with your brothers, with your two brothers that sort of got out of poverty, since uh, you had access to higher education and feeling like super proud that you could achieve uh, whatever your parents did not even have the chance to achieve. How do you feel about having that chance uh, besides like the gratefulness? Is it something that like, I know you've uh, expressed that through volunteering and also giving back to your community. Can you also tell us more about this? Yeah, I mean, being a first generation, uh, it's, it's difficult because you can't really rely on advice from, you know, people in uh, this is my family, right? So, you know, there is a side of gratefulness and I think it's also a side of like self-motivation because me and my brother, the one that's a physician in New, York, in New Jersey, we, when we were little kids, we decided that we wanted to be something more of than just a busboy, you know, or a waiter or whatever. So we decided to create a legacy, something that our generations in the future can actually look at us and it's like, hey, that was, you know, they created something something big for us through my own self-motivation as streets from the legacy of creating something in the United States. But I think it also yeah, just the volunteer thing. I've, I've volunteered at homeless shelters and I volunteered at, you know, soup kitchens and, and food banks and all that because I understand what it is to be close to homelessness. Sometimes in life, sometimes you just need somebody to help you. Yeah, we're not too far off from in my future, I'm about to finish my doctorate and my brother already finished his and um so it we're not we're not too far off from our beginnings and we're not too far off from creating that the beginning of our legacy that we want in this uh, part of the world but at the same time we want to actually you know show a side of humility right because ego is one thing that takes over a lot in our life when we're not used to it you know so sometimes like i've gotten caught in my past when you know, i've gotten a little bit of money and i just throw it around everywhere and and then i think to myself what am i doing right like a lot of people in my family have never had that opportunity to just throw it around and and money is, is something that's to be used for something good. And time is the most important thing of anything else, right? So what are you doing today to make yourself better tomorrow? You know, maybe my, my parents didn't have the easiest and, and a lot of people in my culture as well didn't have the easiest life necessarily up, up to this point in my life. But at the same time, I'm not going to waste every, any, I don't want to waste any moments I have because life is short. And as long as you can create that, you can just be that good person that just gives back, just continues to drive forward. And after you finish, still help the community. You know, I, th- I think it makes everybody understand that it doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't matter your background. It matters more of the person. You were also talking about challenges uh, that are more personal to you, but we also can't deny that it's also associated with physical appearances. So like when you come from visible minority, so mm-hmm. most likely you would have prejudices at work or for job interviews that will still prevent you, that that would still like put obstacles into your wants and wishes, even if they're the purest intentions, you know? I've definitely gone through that, especially
especially when I was going through my accounting degree, uh, it was predominantly a Caucasian neighborhood that wasn't used to many Hispanics, especially Hispanics that wanted to pursue something outside of, you know, the management or sports or things like that. You know, accounting is not really, it's not, at least in the, in the neighborhood I, I went to school, it wasn't heavily diverse, right? So I went to a couple of internships and I noticed every single person in that neighborhood was white. So I go in there and I can already tell I'm being, I'm being judged because they didn't really expect uh, the way I sound or the way I look. Even my background is very, I think it was one of the kind of things of they couldn't relate. You know, I would talk about something in my background and, and I would discuss with them why I wanted to pursue counting. I think that was the greatest uh, amount of uh, miscommunication was they thoroughly just couldn't understand where I was coming from. And, and uh, I've gone to other uh, job interviews as well from other um, jobs and my brothers as well. And, you know, a lot of times people are just surprised. Honestly, they expect less. And we're like, you know what? We're here just like you. We speak very fluent English. And I think that's one of the kind of things of being in that neighborhood as well that people have a big issue with, I, the ignorance of it. I remember I was working at Target and this one gentleman came up to me and he was like, do you even speak English? Like it was just, it was one kind of thing that's very ignorant. And I think I've, I've gone to job interviews in the past where I have been overly qualified and I would get the job, but I would be in the less, I'd be in like the lowest job possible target in particular and they have somebody that has lower credentials than i do and they would be my boss right and I, yeah that's crazy the thing about the speaking english part is that when you really dissect it it's not offensive per se it's just like the fact that we've gotten this like so long from so many people who are just ignorant because they're not used to having people in this position with this physical appearance speaking perfect english i think that's what surprises them too yeah absolutely and i mean i guess yeah i think it just streams from ignorance and and i remember when i was a i moved to new jersey to florida and i this one kid in particular asked me and we were middle school and one kid asked me where are you from like where's your i was like oh i'm from new jersey but it was like where are you really from because i love that answer and i was like oh you know my, my family comes from america public and like oh you're not black how are you dominican right and i'm i'm not a person of traditional i don't look like a traditional you know dominican that you would see on tv or the baseball players or anything like that i'm a little bit whiter complexion he was like oh that uh all those people are black. You aren't. Why? Like, how can you say you're Dominican? And I was like, my family immigrated from somewhere else before the Republic. Like, there's nothing like this, the way that my family transitioned over. And that's the way that these, some of these, some of these kids are being raised where they have no idea what, what's around them right? Where are people from or really get to know, like, let's say, for instance, like Mexico, Mexico has different dialects and there's different people. Like it's a huge, Mexico is a huge country. And, and I've come across many uh, Mexicans and, uh, in my time in Florida, there's many different sectors of, of Mexico as, as if it's its own little country. Every like every city is almost its own little country. People just need to take a step back and actually thoroughly just understand like, hey, just because the United States, the predominant language is English, predominantly, not it's not the required necessary language, but it's the primary language that there's other countries not necessarily that they might not speak the, all the same language. They might not speak the same dialects. I mean, you look at people from India, like I've known, I've, I've had India friends that they speak some of them speak like four different languages and all of them for india for sure we need to accept this cultural diversity and especially because i find it hypocritical why don't you ask this guy like oh do you speak navajo oh wait no <laughs> so like you, your family also immigrated here so like what's wrong with you being white why aren't you like more tanned like 
I agree. I agree. And I think at the time I was, I was very self-conscious as well. I was, I was a little kid and I was, I was just taken back because I, I've never really been asked that kind of question. Oh, really? Because um, I've been yeah. asked my whole life. That's funny. Like in France, I've been asked in the United States even more and in Canada, a little bit less. But that's the thing is when I grew up in New Jersey, it was so much more diversity out there. So people necessarily were a little bit more, they understood mm-hmm. of more of that. There is other people, other cultures, other languages, other religions, but when I moved to Florida, it was very, you know, it was very close-minded, honestly, at the, t- at the time. You know, I think I think as, as time went on, uh, the area became more diverse and a little more understanding of other cultures. And now a lot of people, you know, have, have gone there and it, it's not like that school I originally went to was 85% Caucasian. Now it's about 70%. Um, so, you know, it's slowly transitioning to other cultures. There's more Asians in that area, you know, and I think that's a great thing. And I think more places necessarily should be more exposed to all other languages. Languages. I mean, other other cultures. And one thing in particular was that being raised in New Jersey, there wasn't anybody from Canada, honestly. Little things like that that you don't even realize, or even Mexico, right? Um, so I didn't really meet a lot of other people from some areas, which I was later to uh, exposed to in college. There were some Asians, but not really. Like, So you were, when we met, you're one of the first Asians I actually met in schools. That's crazy. And you were in your 20s. Yeah, I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... And I mean, I'm forever grateful. I mean, you're a great friend, so. Oh, thank you. You're a great friend, too. <laughs> what about yourself? How has it been necessarily when you moved from, from France into the United States and, and actually started acclimating yourself into the American culture? How Was it difficult for you? You see, I feel like I had a blend of your stories plus a little bit more ease because I feel like there's not so much stigma about French people immigrating because it's not a country that people tend to have distasteful stereotypes against. So it's not like, oh, they're taking your jobs, like you were saying, but it's more like, oh, this romanticization of the whole country of France is Paris and everything is romantic and ooh la la and stuff <laughs> like this. So this is more of the, the sort of comments that I've gotten, but mm-hmm. there's maybe half of them that did not really trust that I was fully French because of my physical appearance so I'm Asian and mm-hmm. due to that maybe they don't accept it or maybe there's a, a little bit of uh, oh you have to prove it so like speak French and I'm like what do you want me to say like bonjour like <laughs> you know it was like dumb things like that it's like yeah prove it <laughs> I, mean, I think that's wrong you know I think it's you know I think, I think partially it's disrespectful when you ask somebody prove it you're from this one culture that you say you are why one thing why does it even matter I know right? I don't know if it's just curiosity I'm not sure if they're suspicious of uh, me lying to them but I remember when I came to LA there was this girl I was telling her that I was from Paris and she's like do you have pictures to prove it I'm like who walks around with pictures of them in their hometown in their wallet like who does this <laughs> well, I think I think you would have to put the Eiffel Tower in the back <laughs> yeah that that's why I have to carry that along with my ID in case people don't believe me you know <laughs> oh my god so it was more along these lines but I can totally relate with um, especially from people who grew up in bilingual household how it's so much harder to defend your point of view about diversity and that oh you also have this perspective that your family didn't do anything wrong to offend you so like why should you be scared why should you be protective why should you be so protective for your values and for your vision of america when america is actually a colonized land like it's not white to begin with like if you're not a first nation then like i mean i i think it is and partially i think it's the way that some people are raised that of this idea that the white Caucasian is the superior 
inferior and everybody else is inferior to them. You know, I, I think more and more people are start starting to understand and like, especially with this Black Lives Matter movement, you know, people are understanding that they do have privilege that the rest of us don't have, but it takes a step back into self-reflecting on how they treat other people right like there is prejudices and there is um a lot of times sometimes you don't even notice that you're you judge somebody just the way they look and but i think it's it's more of how you act for towards it right i think it i think it's just human nature to you see somebody of some something different from you and you're going to think something, you're going to think of the stereotype necessarily. But if you act, let's say you are on the sidewalk and African-Americans coming towards you, you know, this, this big African-American male, a lot of people that I know of cross the street, right? And I think that's wrong because you're creating this fear that all African-Americans are, you should be feared. And that's not right. You know, it's, it's one kind of things of, if you just keep walking on that same sidewalk as them, guarantee nothing's going to happen. But the way I think society has put it into play prior to these movements is just that they are understanding it's like hey okay you know let's not walk across the street maybe uh, maybe you, you know i might have these these judgments and i have, I have these thoughts of how he's going to react you know if i continue on the same street but i very much assume it's going to be exactly the same thing as anybody else walking down that street they're going to walk past you they might smile they might not and you're going to go about your daily business yeah for uh, sure and where do you think this comes from this fear so i remember i watched this documentary a couple i want to say a couple months ago where it streams from, I think, the 1940s, where, let's say, I, I keep giving the example of the African-American because of the movement, technically the movement right now, that they were portrayed as villains. They were portrayed as the bad people in during the war. Yeah, I, I just think it's one of the kind of things of they are uh, portrayed, and they've been portrayed like that for years. And uh, and then I think the media, and, and I think, has also run with it. It's been an easy, ignorant comment, a very ignorant um, uh, creativity a lot of times in movies in the past. And and uh, just because uh, it's like, oh, you can relate. Let's put that on TV, right, on the movies. I'm hoping that things change in, in into perspective that it doesn't really matter where it is. And I, I you know, I hope... I I'm hopeful for the movement of not anything really legislatively let us in legislation is really going to change. I don't believe that, but I believe that the next generation is going to wake up or well, even this current generation that's uh, being raised now, they're, they're seeing this and they're waking up. It's like, Hey, let's change something. Let's do something different. And I had a discussion with my friend's daughter about it. And I basically told her like, she is of half Asian, half American, and she looks full American, Caucasian, her sister, same mom, same dad her sister looks all asian right but her sister is a dark complexion as well and i basically told her it's like you know make sure when if anybody ever like says anything to your sister to to call them out just be there and it's like hey it doesn't matter what does it matter the way you both look should not matter to anybody this is the way that you present yourself and your character really should matter and how people define either one of you and not to keep your mouth shut and i think that goes a long way with uh just changing the mindsets of people because a lot of people i think nowadays are being raised that this movement is it is impacting a lot of people along the way but it's i think more than else it's impacting the smaller little kids are seeing this for sure um, because they're very influenceable like everything comes through education we talked about this like a lot actually that education makes you who you are in the end and it's so important to start early absolutely and, and and just being exposed to other people other cultures and just understanding that there's good people and bad people in every in every culture and and just understands like hey 
treat people like the way you like to be treated. If yeah, you, want to treat people, well, you know, it makes a whole difference when you see someone standing up for you or when you're in a bad situation and then you see that someone's there to still be here to be your friend, you know, that makes a whole lot of difference in terms of hope and in terms of how you perceive yourself that, hey, I'm not super worthless or I'm not uh-huh. supposed to be bad because I'm of a certain color. So like some people can appreciate me for who I am. So this type of uh, support can just change like someone's depressive thoughts into positive ones. Absolutely. And I, I know I, I think if we, we revert it back to just sheer education of once you have those positive thoughts, it's more likely than not, you're going to go to college and believe in yourself and and, you know, make, make yourself proud, find something that you're passionate about. And, and I think that's having that one person necessarily that's been by your side and, and giving you that positive encouragement, it goes a long way, you know, in, a multi, in other, other avenues of your, of your life. Oh, I have one other story. <laughs> I remember I was working at uh, CVS. One of my bosses basically told me, it's like, oh, I want you to... You know, it was a very ignorant comment, but he was like, I want you to follow any black person that comes into the into the um, CVS. That's crazy. Yeah. And he was like, if you don't, I'll fire you. What did you do? Honestly, uh, I I did it for like a, a moment. And then I was like, you know what's wrong? And I just stopped. I was like, fire me if you want. But like, that's wrong, you know? And, and, and it's just that area I grew up in. Just, it was very hurtful being of, of minority to be put into that position because they didn't ask for it, right? And there's other people that in that store have stolen or whatever, but like asking the only Hispanic and only other, you know, other cultured um, employee in that in that store to do that kind of thing is it was just like, honestly, I quit my job like two days after. But it's like, why you? It's like, you would be more likely to say yes. Or like, does the black person would think it's less shady if someone I, I, already follows me rather than someone who's white? I think it's, I think it's both. Uh, I think it was me because I was just a new employee and I thought, I thought I was very naive. But I think as well, too, is the Hispanic looking is not going to look as shady, right? As, as if another you know another caucasian would do it you know it was just stories like that that i made me very uncomfortable being in that area but like right now i live in i live in georgia and absolutely love it the southern hospitality thing is a is a thing everybody here you know treats you with respect and everybody like you know that kind of stuff that happened back in florida didn't happen doesn't happen here you know even when i lived in philadelphia it didn't really happen as much and, and other places as well and in georgia here is just more of everybody treats each other with respect and it's just beautiful out here and yesterday I went to a uh, dinner with uh, a birthday dinner and I just spent time with my friend and her kids the, the same kids that are half Asian half white and, and everybody was just playing having fun and nobody cared you know there was an African American in there as well and and nobody cared where anybody was or from everybody's just like enjoying each other's company and like I love that I love just being exposed just to different people and it's like nobody nobody cared and there was a there was a lesbian couple in there too right and everybody was like hey you know like uh, their background didn't matter they were just trying to get to know the person exactly so there's no judgment on the labels per se but it has to do with who are you as a person absolutely yeah i think that's crazy i mean 
like you said, it could depend on the area you live in because I also did not like Philly for the same reasons. Like I did feel that it was like the discrimination was really high amongst all the social groups. First being poor versus the rich. Mm -hmm. And then also you can see like the ghettos in North Philly was like this area that everybody was trying to avoid that even the train comes directly into campus. So you would avoid this part of town. And I think that's also wrong for them because you're excluding them from the livelihood of the city. It's like you're not giving them a chance to feel included. And like there was this big um, debate about, oh, should the university put more money into having a second stadium? And we're like, wait, do we really need a stadium? Or do we need like a new library? The one that's like falling down and the roof was like basically falling on the student's head. I wasn't in Philadelphia long enough to kind of see that. I, I mean, what I just kind of compared it to Florida and I was like, oh, this is better than Florida. So I didn't <laughs> really see it as, as, as apparent as you did, you know, and, and I was only there for, you know, a very short amount of time. I can, I can 100% understand, I, I guess in retrospect, I can un completely understand where you were kind of coming from that there's a huge disparity between the rich and the poor. You know, you have this North Philadelphia in general is, it is low impoverished to the 10th degree of places that run down, multiple rundown buildings and a lot of areas where, you know, people are doing drugs and, and other things like that. And then you have these areas that are filthy rich. You know, it, it, it is, I think it's one of the kind of things, there's, there's a show, I forgot what network it is in the United States, but it's called Have and Have Not, right? So I think that's the, is the concept of that right who has and who's who doesn't and i was lucky enough to live with my brother my brother was during residency and so i didn't live in the nicest neighborhood and i didn't live in the poorest you know it was it was pretty affordable at the time but at the same time i actually i'd love to go back and actually try to make a difference in that neighborhood you know just as far as like perspective where i don't think i really don't think a lot of people go back and actually try to because of because of the how it, it is a scary thing to actually try to change perspectives it's true and let's remember that we were there seven years ago so if we might come back it would be with fresher eyes and also with uh, maybe more distance and more maturity on the issue like it's very easy to not like something because it does not fit or offer or a definition of of, uh, of home so for me it was also okay I don't see myself being like living in a neighborhood that I don't feel safe but on the other mm -hmm. hand like I find that for those people it's not a choice very sadly for those people they grew up here they live here their whole life and they just don't even have the money to get out I think I I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, that happened a lot with uh, the area that I originally was born in in New York, where it's the same kind of thing that, you know, it, it is a lower of income neighborhoods and people literally can't afford to leave. And they just stay there for 20, 30, 40 years. They continue on living in their, you know, their poverty. There's, you know, sometimes there's not enough help from outside sources to help them get out, even if they want to, or even help their own household sometimes. There's nothing wrong with sometimes asking for help and, and, uh, I think that's a, that's a problem in society in our days. Like it's a negative connotation sometimes. This is like, hey, I need help. And people look at that as pity. You know, that you're trying to find pity. And in reality, I, I don't think you are. I think you legitimately just, you can't get out. You can't change the status quo without it. Yeah. And you know, it changes a lot when you try to know the person for who they are. Like you were saying, it's so important to get to know this story rather than judging them by the holes in their clothes or by the level of their education, which is basically not. So it's so important to like do activities such as volunteering, like we were mentioning earlier, because that's when you really get into the issue. And you know, mm -hmm. like I've traveled to poor countries. I've traveled to third world countries, uh, including Cambodia. It's not the same because you know that going on vacation there, even if it was to see my family, you know it has an end. You know it's temporary. So like I couldn't feel like what it was like 
like to be one of them, truly. But it's only when I started volunteering in my own community. For me, it was Los Angeles and Philly and Boston. Like the people you're surrounded with, that you realize that these people are literally like walking across you and needing someone's help. So I started tutoring in Boston through uh, this uh, charity. And it opened up my eyes that some people don't drop out of school because they don't feel like it. Like sometimes it's a, it's a matter of choice. Like they had to help a family member who was in need, who was sick. So they had to go to work and drop out of school. But they're here because they're motivated. Like they actually want a better life for themselves. No one wants to work for $4 an hour, like you were saying. It's yeah. crazy that we judge these people as if they wanted this lifestyle. And there's yeah. such a stigma on poverty. Like, oh yeah, they're here to hurt others. They're desperate. So they're going to steal from you. They're going to kill and kidnap your daughter for ransom. Like sure, it happens in some countries and in some countries it's actually a business but like for most people no one wishes to be in this position absolutely and i agree and so i guess i didn't tell my full story of my father but when he immigrated to the united states at 11 you know, he went to you know school went in, in new york and uh when he turned 18 just how cultural was different from typical american way of life when he turned 18 his birthday was in april he graduated he was supposed to graduate in june his father actually disenrolled him from school and actually put him working the factory because like hey, you know what you're 18 you're not gonna do anything in life as far as like education so i'm gonna put you in a factory to work right next to me because i need help with the rent because you're gonna start paying your rent now he could have let him finish that's crazy but, but the thing is he didn't see that there was a he didn't see that there was much of an opportunity for for his son to do become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is he didn't he didn't believe in it he didn't believe that there was that was even a chance so that's something that i'm very much appreciative of my father he, he learned from that technically the mistake not believing in your kid my dad's a bright man and he could have become a doctor a lawyer engineer or whatever but he wasn't given the opportunity right and i've i've heard of other people as well like you were saying that they drop out because they have to take care of their siblings or one guy in particular i met in uh, when i was in college he was raised in philadelphia and he actually he dropped out of eighth grade because his sister older sister got pregnant and his his uh his dad was in his dad was in jail at the time and his mom was a drug addict so he dropped out when he was a young kid and so he had to work down the street so he can actually help his sister to make sure she doesn't lose the baby and make sure she had enough food on her t- on the plate and also pay the rent he put wow. so much he had so much you know thrust into this kid and, and ironically you know what ended up happening to the kid he ended up now he's he ended up going to residency in um in duke duke university in north carolina and now the guy is in uh i believe i think he's a, a internal medicine doctor or a cardiologist or something like that and, like he dropped out but he he eventually got his GD and he was like, you know what? I'm going to go to college. He eventually did that, went to med school and he just made something of himself because he believed and he was like, you know what? At the time he needed to take a step back and actually try to help his family. And he so happy he did and now that you know his, his sister had a beautiful young boy and he was like you know what now it's my time and he made something of himself that's crazy it's beautiful like <laughs> yeah. he was so selfless but then like he persisted and got his reward he, yeah he was a little bit older and i guess than other people because of the i guess the route but you know everybody kind of takes a different route in life i mean i didn't expect to be 32 years old and still in school and you know 11 years past high school and just just doing college work but everybody everybody kind of takes a different route and that's okay Okay, right? As long as I think, as long as you just believe in yourself and uh, just are you're determined for why you want to do it in the first place. Yeah. Right? So back to the meaning. Back to the meaning, right? And my meaning is to help my family. I'm gonna do as much as I can and be as successful as I can. So my my family has given so much to me, and I want to give back to 
them, you know, as soon as possible. And, and other people in my family as well, you know, they, they've been by my side and my friends. And, you know, as long as I can make everybody around me that helped me along the way and give, give back to them, I'll be happy with that. That's a nice call. I like that. So Brian, do you have a, a last piece of advice for our listeners? You know, look outside of stereotypes necessarily. Just get to know people, like I was saying before. Just try to thoroughly understand that everybody has a different background. And, and as, as, long, as long as you just accept that they are different from you, but their story is very impactful and very inspiring. And, and uh, let that drive you to make a decision of how you treat people and um, how you want the next phase of your life to be. Yeah, thank you so much for all your advices and for your very amazing stories. I know that some people might listen to this and it may shake their comfort zone. And I like that about you is that you're very true, you're very honest. And I'm so happy and so glad that we have stayed friends and never lost touch in seven years. Yeah, you're, you're a great person be around and I've, I've always kind of found that light in you so your honesty as well is something that I've always I just gravitated towards right and I think it's amazing yeah thanks again for being on this podcast and I'll talk to you later bye take care bye if you love the podcast you can check out my blog education monsters it's education-monsters.com you can also support my project on multicultural education by donating on my patreon page the link is posted below. If you make a donation, you could have a shout out on my next article or podcast. You could also choose the subject of my new article or podcast. And if you need French or English lessons, meet me on the italki platform. I'll put the link below. Shoot me a message as well if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast. And may today be the best day of your life. Bye.